Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, how are you? Good, I'm just eating my breakfast. Good. Yeah, um, just a little uh, explanation. I'm traveling and I've been traveling and you've been traveling, so it was hard to find the time that we both had time. It's true. We didn't sort of anticipate, despite the fact that we're always traveling, that this would and, be a problem. And, and if, in case you guys are wondering if the audio is not as phenomenal as it is every week, <laughs> uh, I'm, I didn't bring my big mic, so this is just a small mic that's uh, on the headphones. So forgive just, me, please. You sound all right. Yeah. Um, so what are you in the Netherlands for again? Uh, I'm doing a few talks and a few production things uh, with the weavings. And I'm also talking, I'm preparing an exhibition on the history of the screensaver at the new institute in Rotterdam. So I have some oh, meetings yeah. with them. And that's been a long time in the making. We've talked about yeah. it a few times. Yeah, it's something for a long time I just had the idea I'd really love to see a room full of screensavers <laughs> so does it is, are you also going to have commercial screensavers in it like the well the only commercial screensaver yeah yeah so oh, yeah. everything is uh, I wanted the works I wanted the works that are in our collective conscious or subconscious even the things that mm. we saw many times but we never really realized we were looking at them are any like is are any of those sense. in the in like the MoMA or something? Are you preempting something like that? Um, I'm not sure. I approached uh, uh, me and the institution. We approached the, the makers, and we found most of the people. Mm -hmm. And it seemed none of them had ever exhibited their work in a oh my God. cultural institution or museum or anything. So it's it's really not a very well considered medium. And it, to me, it's interesting because it's this. Um, there's many kinds of computer images. Mm -hmm. We have 3D films and we have video games, and this is one genre of computer images that is a strange genre of moving generative images that also is probably very low res and very low on the CPO, yet real time. And yeah, but it was also it, it's also an artifact of like outdated technology. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was an it was actually I think. Here's the thing, I'm not really sure if they were ever necessary, but there was this concept of burn-in, which yeah. I guess I, I do remember, because if you go to an arcade, or if you were to go to an arcade... So, so maybe actually, I can explain a little bit what a screensaver yeah. is for people. Yeah, like what is it, why, yeah, why does my screen need saving? So we, we found the guy who made the first screensaver, I'm not sure what his name is right now, but um, he just, they, people used to have CRT monitors with uh, maybe green letters on a black background. And if you would leave that monitor on for too long in, in one mode and like have a coffee or go for lunch and you would come back, the letters that were there would kind of be burnt into the screen. And it, if you really left it on for a long time, you get this thing called screen burn where you just see a ghost of... It, you Forever. can actually see this in... If you go to a developing nation and the, at the airport their monitors are maybe still CRT, and then mm -hmm. you, you might see it because on those displays they show something for weeks, the same uh, composition, and then it's really burnt in. And if they change the composition, you'll see the old composition kind of as a ghost. So it's a real thing. So the first screensaver was just a script that would turn your screen off after 10 minutes of inactivity. Just turn the whole display off? Yeah, right? just go to black. And then... Uh, after that, people started thinking, hey, if the screen is idle, 
uh, if the computer is idle, maybe we can show a moving image instead of just a black screen. That would be more interesting. Because if you have a moving image, you're not burning any permanent image into the screen. It's funny though, because like they could also just have turned the thing off automatically, like like we do yeah. today, and saved. Yeah, <clears throat> probably it, saved like quite a few uh, so lives was, worth of well, power. <laughs> what was interesting also is that the demise of the screensaver was not really the demise of the CRT monitor, but the fact that all our machines now are battery operated, and we want to save battery more than we want to save mm. our screen. But I don't think you can get screen burn on an LCD. No, sure. but I don't think that's was the reason for the demise of screen saves. It's really that if you have a laptop and you want to have eight hours of battery life, then a screen save is not going to help. So are there like, I mean, it's one of, it's one of these examples of something that everyone used and, you know, and then a whole, it's really funny because it's almost like you can study it like a little, like a media kind of period of media that was like a micro period like you know yeah. we have television film and it's like the screensavers like the there are these like sliver media kind of i don't know if there's an actual term for that but i can you think of are there any other ones i mean i'm trying um, to think off the top of my head but like yeah there's different generations of video games but then mm -hmm. there is so you could say those consoles are periods but the idea right. of the video game continues but the screensaver is really it was there for a while but is like the is like the um, Apple Watch a media on its own, or is it part of a collective kind of like you know? As because yeah. we're in this state now with just like screens of all different sizes, and they all kind of work a little bit differently. Like, is my Motorola phone from two thousand five different from my iPhone from twenty twelve? And yeah, but then so if it's no, I to me the screensaver is pretty unique in its uh, rise to glory and then its rise to obsolescence. It's pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Maybe it, yeah, like, it's like unique in history a little. Bit. I guess like CD-ROM art. Yeah, and actually, uh, there was an exhibition of CD-ROM art recently um, that I heard about at uh, iMall, which is a, a new media yeah. gallery in, in Brussels. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, but you—that's kind of I've heard people talk about that time as like every artist was making CD-ROM art. Um, they were the like, apps of the time. Yeah, and it was like, and it was kind of during early net art era as well, right? Like both things were happening, mm -hmm. and during that dreaded sort of period of multimedia, I guess if you were to like put a, a label. Well, on, it was like, a fascinating time because you were used to TV, and then you were used to sort of MTV style editing. You don't have to edit very yeah. uh, strict. You don't have to follow the rules of cinema, but you could just go crazy on the mixing board. And, no, then, all of, that, and yeah, then all that, of a sudden people are like, we can have non-linear time. Yeah. No, that term multimedia, though, like it always makes me cringe. But when you think about it, like it was the first time maybe that you had combination of media. That, and like you said, where the rules were a little bit. So why, why do you think it makes you cringe? I think like information superhighway or any of these words where they were like adopted by mainstream media, there was more... Um, it, maybe it's just oversaturation. I'm not certain. Um, or, or do you think that the, the amount of interesting work and the amount of uh, terrible work, the balance was not so great? Well, I wasn't. No, I wasn't around to see the CD-ROM art, and that's why I'm very curious to see like what artists were producing at the time. What I was around to see was like, <clears throat> you know, Encarta or like uh, certain like video games or you know uh, multimedia experiences that were consumer level yeah. kind of stuff but it, it i guess it's so niche compared to video games because the history of video games is pretty well documented even games that are obsolete get 
remade for new platforms, but when it comes to CD-ROM art, it's just gone. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason. It's just <laughs> the fact that it's on physical media shouldn't preclude us from watching it, but it does speak to this concept of digital obsolescence. I'm about to head to a, conf a colloquium, <laughs> another funny word from the art world, uh, in Montreal, and it's all on digital preservation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was, that was one of the topics on our spreadsheet that we wanted to talk about. Oh, so we could, we're kind of talking about it by accident. Yeah, because the other, other reason I came is that I went to a symposium uh, about digital archiving. Okay, and so you, have you already gone to it? Yeah, and it, it, it was a, a symposium, not necessarily archiving of art, but just the archiving of online culture. So mm -hmm. there were people from, it was in the Netherlands, so there were people from the library, from the police, from city archives, from all kinds, a very broad approach to archiving. And they would say that they have to have written permission to archive a website. Can we copy your site? And then the, they have to send that to the webmaster. And these kind of problems that you have when you're a government institution. And so, oh, that's really, that's interesting. So like it's, it was more about art, how do we archive the internet, this like kind of political. Yeah, because they, it, it, there's a lot of archives in the Netherlands and they were used to like, oh, we're, we're the Royal Library. We have a copy of every publication in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. every novel. Right. And so now they're like, well, there's the internet. Should we then copy every website? But you know, the, th the funny thing about that is, uh, well, you know, there are artist projects like, the, you know, there's one where some, I can't, who's the artist that's printing Wikipedia right now? But like, there are people that have done that kind of thing. I was part of a show where everyone printed their whole Facebook history. But one of the, I always think of those as a critique of archiving in yeah. some way, because the idea of the internet and of all digital media was that it was ephemeral. Like the early video artists were not interested no, in the archive. No, but I think yes, the idea yes, of the internet yes. was about it's a universal library. Well, I think I'm thinking back to, for me, like I think I've mentioned this a few times, but Fluxus artwork and performance artwork, which rejected the archive, you know, as like a perversion yeah, of capitalism. But, okay, <laughs> but we're talking about, uh, you are mentioning a uh, one position in art, <laughs> yeah, that's right. and I'm talking about the, the nature the whole, of the internet, the history and, of humanity, and, and this idea that the internet is is written in ink, not in pencil. So if you have a really embarrassing photo, it's not going to go off the internet. Well, that's the th the funny thing. So even as there's this anxiety that it's disappearing, it's actually you know, and you and potentially that was what the library is concerned about it's also almost impossible for anything to disappear in, it seems like, on the internet. Yeah, but I, I, I think uh, CD-ROMs and screensavers and things like that, they can live on in documentation, but it's hard to encounter the original mm -hmm. because it's platform-specific. So when you have documents, when I say documents, I mean sound files, yeah. audio files, photos, Digital. anything that fits yeah. in, a, in a standard, it's anything that you can post on Facebook. Uh, that's fine, but when you have an, an interactive experience that is specific to an operating system, that's harder to experience in a timeline or share or copy. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, but so, I mean, I so think... Th that, I think that's when the obsolescence becomes really uh, crucial. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm still also fascinated by this idea that we think that if it's printed on a physical thing like a book, especially among artists, like 
books still carry a lot of sort of gravitas or weight, like Mm -hmm. authoritative power. And, you know, so if you write the same essay and you print it in a book, it's like, it it gets much, it's much more respected than if it's published online. I spoke to someone that is shifting now. So, Mm -hmm. so I think books, uh, regardless of what you think of the, the authority, I think books are great for a large amount of content and lots of visuals. So coffee table books and things work better than a website with a thousand images. Mm-hmm. But uh, I spoke to a journalist and they said they used to, journalists were like, yeah, I want to do it as long as it's in print. Yeah. And now they're like, yeah, it's okay that it's in print, but it has to be online as well. Because mm. they want to share it to their audience as well. So it's, it's almost it's like shifting. if you write for The New Yorker, it's cool, but you hopefully it will also be on the online edition of the New Yorker because then you can share it and then show the world that you're on the New Yorker. But I think one of the, the, the threads there that's still not resolved is like the authority of the internet is is sort of, you know, you, you know, the old saying, like, you might be a dog, like, you don't know what's whether what's on the internet is true or false or that the identities are real. Or oh, not. I don't want to go there. Well, it's just that fake news, like Facebook is in the news this week, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. for the election over this fake news stuff. And it's like, well, so we're the authority the, of, we're the no the politics main, podcast. The main, we're, okay, we're not politics, but regarding like, it seems like everything on the internet is always trying to be undermined. There's always an, un, an undermining kind of force there of its authority. Whereas um, sort of, I think physical media is rarely questioned or undermined. It sort of has a... I don't know, like, so, but I guess it's historic, right? It's got thousands of years of history. But whatever new media arrives, and the internet now is not really new media. It's been around, what, 30 or 40 years. But I guess in yeah. comparison to books, um, it is. Whatever new media arrives, there's a, there's a lot of skepticism around its um, ability. Well, we, to yeah, we could say some, not even the internet, but social media in particular, which is pretty recent. Yeah, that's true. And social media actually is only about 10 years old, right? Yeah, because um, it used to be if you would make fake news in in a weird domain, you'd be like, "That's probably fake." But since yeah, everything's in the feed and everything looks the same, then it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And apparently, Facebook's going to be labeling you know um, things in your feed like this is probably fake. You know, yeah, like, uh, I'm just waiting for the end of the world. To, I think <laughs> Facebook is accelerating it. Uh, so good for them. Well, it's. I mean, I'm I'm actually glad to see a company like Facebook in trouble ethically or having like ha- you know having these asking these questions that normally as academics or artists or whoever are we're asking in like colloquiums and panels and stuff <laughs> but they're like now it's like having a huge impact <laughs> it's like, like we've been t- <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny to think of, i don't know i'm just flashing back through all these really dry panels i've been yeah on yeah with like five people in the audience yeah. <laughs> and now it's like the history of humanity. Yeah, somebody tweeted funny the way the world ends. <laughs> and it's because of a bunch of like, you know, I met these people, these people that are like, have you ever met someone that does SEO hacking? No. Like someone that like does, they, they're professionals that it's not really, ha- I don't think that's the proper label actually, but people who do not just SEO, but like that, that sort of create these clickbait articles and all of that. And it, it, it is usually actually somewhat an SEO play or a play to get additional eyeballs for advertising. And I've met a few of these people through my life in um, the startup world, and they are kind of amazing, Raphael. Like, uh, they know so just, much of the human mind? 
Well, it's like there's going to be a movie like in a year, like like Moneyball, where it's like a guy in a basement or something. And he's like, no, you just have to put a picture of a girl in a bikini and say like five things you didn't know about breasts. Or something. <laughs> and you can shut down the whole world. <laughs> they have no idea. Like they're really, they're really exposing like something. Um, All this feels like the, like technology is evolving way quicker than our brains are capable of dealing with. <laughs> it's true. It's re- I, I, I shouldn't One of the things that's because... interesting, uh, Mike Judge, the, the creator of Beavis and Butthead and Silicon Valley and uh, Idiocracy, one of his mm. major themes is that since technology evolves so much quicker than us, humans are always in these weird situations that they were not involved to. So, what's that movie about office office space? Did you see that oh, one? Yeah. yeah, of course. And it's about these guys who uh, have a cubicle job and they're angry about the, how boring it is and how stupid it is. And it's like, yeah, you, you were not evolved to sit still all day in a cubicle and follow orders. So you're going to be depressed. And uh, uh, Idiocracy is another take on evolution. In Silicon Valley, he's like, it, it used to be that Whoever had the the most muscles and was good at fighting would have mm. the power. Right. That, that's the way humans were evolved. But now, the the wimpy, geeky introverts have all the power, and it's a it's a weird physical uh, proposition. And I mean, <clears throat> one of the problems, I guess, is that they might not be well. So our assumption is 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 a bit is a bit false, though. Probably that that we believe that you know there's a stereotype of the sort of like socially awkward uh white male nerd uh like zuckerberg yeah yeah i mean and a lot of those people exist and i mean i've I've definitely well yeah like bill gates would he fit Mm -hmm. the template yeah and so like this is their revenge on the world right (laughs) it's like you know i was bullied in high school so now take this um but I think the ecosystem is probably a lot more complex than that. It does remind me, though, that, you know, the option that you have is kind of to re- you know, a lot of people have is just to reject the entire media sphere in a form of one form of archiving is just to throw everything away. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to ask you because we, we spoke before to talk about preservation mm-hmm. and you said you had a reason that preservation should not be done at all. Yeah. That's because I mean I I was sort of brought up as a young uh, video art student to understand um, electronic media as ephemeral mm-hmm. um, and as a like a living body or a piece of your body in some way that should decay and like um, a lot of video work uh, sort of reflected on that ephemerality um, certainly early work uh, on video was done on like this three quarter inch magnetic tape. Um, on like recording devices, they were pretty bad, and, and sometimes they'd become demagnetized. So in a second, they could just like disappear. Mm-hmm. But also, when when they were recorded <clears throat> on tape, every time you played the tape back, and you would probably remember this from when you were a kid and had a VCR uh, with VHS tape. Every time you played it, it got a little bit weaker. The signal, mm-hmm. like it rubbed a little bit of the magnetism off. Yeah, of it. yeah. So that was um, that was uh, the nature of early video recording. Yeah, I remember I did a show early on uh, when I was uh, a student. I had a collective, and it was like um, we we played, we record, we made videos, and then we played them and recorded over them again and again until by the end of the show, all of the works were erased. Well, um, w- one argument I have for preservation, and I think you would agree, 
mm-hmm. is that it's a new category of profession because a lot of categories of jobs are disappearing because of technology. So we also need new jobs. So this is one new job, is the digital archiver. <laughs> That's true. It's like sort of the, uh, like the, uh, I don't know, the funeral home operator <laughs> of media <laughs> or something, or the, uh, the coroner. And I guess like... It's, or the zookeeper. Um, and more often than not, it's not just media we're talking about. It's the playback devices as well. There's the, you know, Corey Archangel did that piece recently uh, where he recovered some of Andy Warhol's uh, like works that he did on this. On the um, Amiga? Have you ever seen this stuff? Yeah, the Amiga stuff. There's he a YouTube drawings? clip. Yeah, there's a YouTube clip. I wish we could link to it, but just type YouTube Warhol uh, Amiga. And it's actually, they've got Warhol sitting in Electra Hall showing off what the Amiga can do because there's color graphics and he mm. kind of like paints a portrait of Debbie Harry, I think. Yeah. yeah. And um, I had watched this several several times and I guess Corey got the idea that, hey, like, I'll just call up the Warhol Foundation <laughs> and see if they have this stuff. And what, like, he must have like experimented and there must have been other works. Mm-hmm. And so then they found a bunch of um, diskettes, like, uh, in, in sure all enough. his boxes, yeah, because yeah, like floppy the Warhol disks. Foundation has thousands and thousands of boxes of Warhol stuff. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because Warhol famously archived everything of every day, like all the yeah, garbage. Yeah, put it in a box. Everything. Yeah, put it in a box. So he was actually, you know, way ahead of us. As yeah, always, so, Warhol. So, <laughs> so maybe this this archiving question is a question uh, about your personality, whether you want to keep things or not. Yeah, I mean. He was. It's interesting because he was obviously someone that was uh, interested in like industrial production. Um, the, the other question for me is um, the educational value of the archive. So, mm-hmm. the idea that humans can progress if they can build on previous experiments. Mm, right. I mean, and, and so that actually, if, if, in, yeah. in the case of CD-ROM art, maybe a lot of people made a lot of amazing things that I never saw because my library didn't have any CD-ROMs. Mm-hmm. in my art school right well the I thought what you were also saying is like interesting in relationship to just like the history of technology because there was actually a change in the law that permitted people so it used to be actually very difficult to build on the work of others both in copyright but in patent law as well and then a change in the law in the United Kingdom in the late or I guess in the mid 1800s allowed someone to build on the work of another person and to patent that. So would it, you could have, so you built a, a wheel and then I added a hubcap. I could patent wheels with hubcaps and you could still own the patent for a wheel. And this was so significant because prior to that point, the law prevented people from doing that. And so technology would come out and be like, you know, let's say it was pencils and that would be it. You know, it'd be like, well, I own. <laughs> but I can do a colored can... pencil. No, you don't. No, no. <laughs> All any, any writing instrument belongs to me. So that actually I, led to I, the Industrial I wish, Revolution. I wish there was a way of parallel universes where you could test the A-B test. Okay, this is the most strict kind of idea of history where everything is archived and you can't repeat anything. Mm-hmm. And there's another version where everything is fluid and open source and you can redo everything, but everything is erased immediately. And then what oh, happens yeah. then? So it, it, that would be the only way to really find out. Otherwise, it's all just guessing. Well, the way it, I mean, one funny way to think of it, what you're describing is the way GitHub works. Yeah. <laughs> for, for our listeners that don't know, like um, GitHub is a, a kind of, um, a, it's software a lot of uh, 
programmers use, and, it, and it's also an online uh, community in a way, where you make, uh, if you're writing it's, open it's source software, it's a social network like, where you don't get laid. <laughs> yeah, where you, well, where you write you write code, and your revisions are managed, but like so there, but at any one point there might be like hundreds of people writing, and so all of those revisions need to be managed um, in a way where you don't lose. You know, you know, because someone might mess it up. I suppose Wikipedia works a little bit the same way, but um, and so there's multiple versions of everything. So you might end up with thousands or millions of versions uh, for a large project, and any version can be re can be you can roll back to any version kind of thing. Um, so, but maybe what you're talking about, Raphael, is like if what if we could roll back history to a different version? Yeah, and then go yeah. back, go go forward. But again. what I also mean is that. Uh, um... History of art is defined in things that are supposed to stand the test of time. That's kind of how art is different from popular culture. It's, it's mm -hmm. meant for longevity. And um, imagine you could erase everything every 10 years and start from scratch. And you could oh, yeah. be like, oh, I've never seen Rembrandt. Uh, maybe, yeah. I've never That's seen pyramids. True. Oh, I invented pyramids. <laughs> you can do that. I mean, you just have to have a child, I think. <laughs> then... Uh, you know, any any new human being hasn't seen anything, right? And and I ultimately, I think that's why these archives exist. Like libraries and archives are important. The Smithsonian's important. I just uh, saw this great work that was about kind of the Smithsonian's collection. It's an it's an older uh, video, but the artist like goes through is a resident artist at the Smithsonian, and and they're overwhelmed by you know all of the media you know they they have to, they're they're trying to make a work at while artists and residents at the Smithsonian and there's just like millions of artifacts it's all of history right um Camille Henro she did a, a film called uh, Gross Fatigue that I'm talking about um and it, it but it's really good it's kind of i mean it'll it's only good for a moment i'm i'm always wondering what's next because there's this type of media that exists now this like hyper media where we you know, the the brain's been affected by the internet, and so everything has a million references, right? The idea of the index is like, oh, it's almost like we're all managing a little library. Like, the way you manage your bookmarks is like, <laughs> or if I don't know if people manage bookmarks anymore. That's a previous period in, in internet history, actually. But the the concept we have of any one thing is like a rabbit hole of backlinks and links to other things on the internet. And so our understanding of of everything in regards to the internet um, as like the super media is so diasporatic or divergent like I don't know it's like a it's a different moment in time like that if we go back to that moment in time you were talking about you didn't have CD-ROMs in your library your concept of media was like probably your favorite section in the school library like yeah where the yeah. Tintin books were or something like that but my concept of media today is like it's overwhelming sometimes, right? And it's um, it's like like you said, we might have reached a point where we, you know, a climax point where we can't well, really yeah. manage what's real from what's fake. And yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's hard to know. For example, if because we have the universal library and because of all of history is so at our fingertips, mm -hmm. does that mean is that a reason for all the revival movies? Is that because we're all always drenched in the archive mm. that we start redoing Robocop and redoing Total Recall and all that stuff? That's interesting. I also think it's like why media that's, that is ephemeral, like why Snapchat was originally popular was because 
there was no archive because the work you created, mm-hmm. the artifact was deleted within as soon as it was seen. And yeah. But in, in, I, in your case, you do archive your videos. I do, and I'm, but I'm doing less and less of it. <clears throat> I'm sort of just trying to do things because live before more and you, more. you made pieces that were not uh, recordings of a performance, but they were really videos. Yeah, exactly. I I actually had dinner with a a great uh, kind of uh, performer, another digital performer, this guy John Santrum, this uh, weekend. I know we don't like to name names, but he's kind of he was cool because he was for me an early influence. He did desktop recordings as as videos and live mm. performances. But he, early on, he started off being really precise and like getting it all pre-scripted and pre-recorded. And and then he would pr- kind of pretend to perform on stage um, with these like, it was basically like teleprompted uh, performances where he would get up on stage, he'd try and plug in the projector and, it, and something would go wrong. And then it devolves into this like crazy cacophony of like errors that is like noise music. Um, and it, they're really hilarious because it's like we've all had that moment on stage, but it just he takes that to the 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 nth degree. But recently, he said um, he's not so much interested in doing that kind of prescripted stuff because it's a little bit boring. And so he is not recording things. He's recording little snippets and then improvising <clears throat> on stage. And the idea is that there's never one performance that's the same. And of course, we all know that audiences kind of demand that. And uh, you've probably heard the statistic like millennials um millennials want experiences not things right uh and that might may or may not be true maybe it's because they don't have enough money but they're spending a lot on experiences uh and it you know ultimately an experience is something you you can try and get in documentation and maybe that's why we have all these apps and like glasses now that will record our experiences but i just have a hard time believing people are going to go back and watch that stuff like it's only relevant in real time but i, I could be totally well, wrong people we'll want find the, a way. people want the reward of the the likes well did you have a video camera growing up i'm wondering yeah yeah we we had one as, as a family we had a... so when was the last time you watched the the videos uh, i think i threw them out because they were embarrassing i made movies <laughs> with my friends and we all looked funny and Aw, I'm actually a little bit sadly through them out. I actually have, we transferred ours to DVD a few years ago. I have them sitting right next to me here, actually, it reminds me. And I have, I, I keep worrying because they're on it's DVD. Funny, and I, it's funny that you tell me about Fluxus and living in the moment, but you love the archive. I only love, well, I watched these videos recently because I found them at the bottom of a box. And it's that but you, kind of you movie But you took the moment. effort of transferring them to DVD? Well, for a court case, if you... <laughs> <laughs> but, but, that's another story. That's another story for another time. Yeah, but but so <laughs> you're not you're not very strict on uh, on that principle of no archive. I mean, this is the one exception. I think there's a lot of but, my work. But with my with your own work, work, would you refuse to do a book, for example? Hmm. A compendium of your performances and interviews and, and text of other people. Well, it doesn't make much sense to me. I know I've refused. Here's what I've refused when collectors have asked if they could buy my, my works. I've never sold any of my video works that are online. Yeah. Um, and when, because when collectors have asked, they've asked me to remove them from the internet. Yeah. And I've refused. Yeah. And I know that other artists have experienced this too. And I'm like, that's it's so ridiculous that you would ask me to remove 
It's like asking me to remove an insta- a site-specific installation. Would you? Would like, you? Can do we it? move Spiral Jetty to my living room? <laughs> <laughs> would you do? Would sense. you do a compromise where you give them a high res and the and the online version is not so high res? Yeah, this is the other ridiculous. No, I. I mean, <laughs> I'm angry about this right now. I don't know. Watermark. <laughs> Like, how much do I have to give away before I have nothing left? And the work won't mean anything, you know? I don't know. I find it very frustrating, um, personally. And I, the, that's why, like, John, the, that, that conversation I had about with this other artist is, like, I'm more and more I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. That's that. I'll do something else for you. You can have a, a coffee cup or tea, <laughs> tea cozy or something. I don't know what collector The thing, I think you here you're, you're absolutely right. Like it, it really diminishes the work if you would take it offline. Yeah. But there's the other thing where sometimes things are not cool because they sell easier, but mm-hmm. they might actually be a better work. And so sometimes you're like, no, I'm not going to put this on the wall in a frame. That's, that's so conservative. Mm-hmm. But it would actually yeah. be a better version of the work. Like just better for people to see or look at? No, just a better work on its own where uh, it's... Mm. It, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically about a work, but I, I think I'm speaking about digital artists when they move from the screen to other areas. Like when you move from the screen to performance or installation, mm-hmm. you, nobody questions that it's for financial reasons. Mm. But if you move to 2D, then it's like, hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely... I mean, I've done 2D works and people always like scratch their chin <laughs> like, what, why are you doing and so that's I mean it's taking me a long time to realize that it doesn't really make any sense and I did a show recently and I thought of the 2D works as like it was like I framed the whole show like a funeral but people didn't really get it <laughs> but like <laughs> but that's the way I think of it as like a corpse as soon as it's printed it's dead you know but, but so um, if, if you uh, uh, think of yourself as an artist it was mostly n- known for performance work and work in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, But what I'm, it that's seems what that you also care about education. Uh, how do you feel about the history of performance art and uh, education? Like, do I feel like... Uh, like, do you feel today... like it should be documented so they can learn from previous ones? Or is it nice oh, that nothing is recorded so they can just start with a blank sheet? Well, Chris Burden, I think, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned no, no, this you, before. No, no, you, not Chris Burden. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, me, for me, I, I think you can write about it, <clears throat> um, but I don't think you can experience it. So that my position is you have to get, it's kind of similar to Chris Burden, that's why I brought him up, which is that you get, if you get far enough from the actual thing, it becomes a story. Like, Raphael, tell me about Paris, right? And if you, like, bring up a video of Paris and then or put me in a virtual reality experience of Paris, that's... That's actually worse than you just telling me verbally yeah, yeah, yeah. or writing down what Paris. But is in, in when you were in art school and learning about fluxes and learning about their stance on the archive, mm-hmm. um, that was in the form of stories or also videos. I was mostly reading, and it was most and stories. Yeah, there was very few. There were very few videos that I'd ever seen of stuff. I'd seen you'd see black and white photos a lot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, and of course, some of the Fluxus works were films, like the Flux films. Yeah. Um, and so you could see those, and ironically, probably transferred to video, which, like, oh, actually, my 
younger self Raphael was a lot more like strict strict about these rules yeah that's and I would like I would get up and I'd yell and be like <laughs> Raya, like it's like a child that says that's not fair and it, it, it would just like I'd be so angry how can you people even call yourself teachers <laughs> <laughs> don't you have eyes yeah, exactly. have you no heart exactly so I probably got you know I've mellowed over the years, but then recently I'm sort of like rehardening as I get towards my crankier old, <laughs> older years. <laughs> as the world is coming to, to an to end. Yeah. <laughs> you have to stand for something in your life. I don't know. Yeah, people say that. I don't know why you have to stand for something. <laughs> yeah, people say that. Yeah. Well, how do you feel? I mean, we talked a lot about me, but I mean, as yeah, someone for, who makes for websites. Me, it would be very interesting to, to see the... A parallel universe where people can't record anything. I mean, th mm. That would basically mean someone invents the wheel and then the next generation forgets it and then they have to reinvent it. Oh, there's someone at the door. <laughs> oh, I have to take this. It. Yeah, I get it. it no, but, but my point of view on, on the choice whether Let's say you were there was a choice where you could burn all cultural expression every 10 years and start from scratch without mm -hmm. any memory and, and somehow also erase people's memories. Or, I mean, it's so fundamental to humans and humanity that you externalize your thoughts and therefore uh, create so much more mental capacity in the form of books or movies or whatever right I, I see what you're saying it, it's, it's really hard to go against that and then just to, to say even something like buddhist sand paintings where they destroy the object every time it's still the ideas recorded in some form of, of stories and uh, schematics of what those are so i think it's fun to play with it but in the end it's really fundamental to humanity and what you're saying is that it's selfish not to because it's not about you it's yeah about well that, that was the thing when i um, made websites when i started making websites i felt like if you make media art it's really hard to document because it, i think mm -hmm. i said that before in this podcast it's it's just when you see a book of cd-roms and you see stills you have no idea what the work is mm -hmm. and so i felt like oh that work should at least be accessible if i make yeah. websites they should be the same reason you don't want to to take the videos offline when the collector buys the work. I think the accessibility is very important. But now that I think about it, I think a great way to archive my works would be to have someone write about it, and it would be a really bad writer. You know, one of those writers that just describes the work, like, and then like he someone, moved his a, hand to the right. A court, a court case uh, stenographer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it descended slowly. It would be like, you know, it's like you're describing Abraham Lincoln or something. <laughs> yeah. writing the you know, like, it, it would just be like this historical account. of. And I don't, I'd be fine with that because then it could be reinterpreted. I, I don't know. Like it's what you're saying though is also very much about the last one percent of humanity, in terms of history. There's a lot of history that's been erased forever. Like no one, we don't know what happened prior yes to written no. history. But but uh, certain inventions. If if you look at other species, it, I think it's really hard for them to pass on uh, knowledge. Uh, like otters, the way they can build a dam or mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, because it's quite anthrocentric of us. Like, yeah. So, what is the history of? But what I mean, what I mean is that uh, maybe we didn't have writing, but we passed on the knowledge of creating fire or making a wheel before writing. I guess for me, fundamentally, Raphael, though, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that every time I think about the archive, I, I sort of hold myself back 
from enjoying the performance or the present, right? Yeah, so and, it's not up to you. Well, it's like, let's go back to that, like, animal, the otter making the dam. If he's thinking about, oh, God, like, how are we going to preserve this dam for future generations? Or like, Yeah, but not preserve the dam, but preserve the dam? method of... Uh, but his very survival depends on him just reacting in real time. No, but he, but maybe maybe what happens is if the if the otter was more like a human and was more into archiving, the otter would decide, okay, I'm going to write this down so I can also get some help from... Uh, right. and, and then I'm going to teach a, a bull to help me because he can do it faster. Right. And then I'll get I'm, a little photo crew in here. We'll survey the lab. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we're going to measure it and then I'm going to hire some more people so I can chill and get some <laughs> dividends. So you were saying the archive is a little bit like almost like a division of labor, I mean, but it's a division of no, a thought. No, it's, it's, it's a recording of thought into a mm-hmm. form uh, for people to build upon. Now, and I think that makes sense when I was, you know, speaking earlier about patent law, that that really accelerated, um, you know, human civilization when they allowed. I mean, so there's there's nothing. St- I, I, I guess I'm not in favor of allowing or disallowing. And maybe that's where if you if you want to archive my work, like so I've always said people mm-hmm. can take photos of my work, but I'm not going to take my own photos kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and because the, then the social media stream is like my archive. That's more realistic than hiring someone and getting special lights and things like that. I mean, it probably hurts me in some way because people are always asking, you know, what are you doing? Are you, you know, they, they just assume you're not doing anything if there's not like a great archive of it or if you're not sending like a special email newsletter rundown of everything you've done um, or if you're not in well, you know, I, publication. Well, I, I think what would work best is if, if it's not you sending the archive, but it's others. No, for me that that's exactly right. But, yeah, but also you know, from a marketing a point of view, if if right. uh, an important publication is recording you, that has more impact than you sending out a newsletter. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, and so I'm I'm not turning down any press interviews for anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have any principles. It's just whatever opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just like a rabid capitalist. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. It's all a charade. I'll do anything, uh, but I won't take my videos. <laughs> Actually, I would just like to be like that otter. Do less and you do more. Does <laughs> <laughs> that sound? I don't know. But I think with you, it's interesting just for us to close on this a little bit. But you make websites, but when someone collects your website, they become responsible for it, right? Yeah. Um, but So you're not responsible for the archive at that point. In some way, it's like you're handing over the archi- archival responsibility to another yeah. person. But then, uh, of course, I keep a copy and I'm archiving. Mm. Not every website has sold, so I have to archive a number of websites anyway. And then archiving 50 or 100 websites is not much difference in labor. Right. Do you keep like a copy on a physical USB stick or something? Um, Well, that's a whole... Basically, my filing system is that everything I have fits on my laptop. And then I have a local backup and I have a cloud backup and then mm-hmm. my programmer has all the websites as well because he's always working on them so mm-hmm. that's kind of the system okay so it's like there's a whole, uh, have a plus, whole system. plus the server uh, the the actual web host so well it reminds me I hate to bring up uh, an artist twice in one podcast but Cory Archangel used to like when he would sell a work he would also it would have all the files used to make the work on a on like a, a USB stick or a, a CD mm-hmm. or DVD 
and like the idea of not just the archive of the work itself but the process that went into making the work mm. I always found that kind of interesting because so much of what we assume to be worthwhile archiving is the work itself but if you go to a museum or something quite often the didactic or the thing that they're trying to interpret is how the work was made or yeah. the context yeah, yeah. in work which the work was made and so a lot of the contextual stuff's more sometimes more relevant well that was interesting the at, at the conference where I was where a lot of these people from uh, very broad archives were saying that whatever you archive you have no idea now if it's important that we will only find out in four or five hundred years Mm-hmm. And they, as an example, they said that the things that remain from the 17th century in the Netherlands is a lot of paintings because they're so archival by nature. But mm. we don't have any advertising or marketing flyers or folders. They, there's about two or three actual physical copies that remained because people thought they were so unimportant. But there, right. there were many, but they just nobody kept them. And they would like have the been junk mail. And they would have been really informative to know. Uh, what people were doing back then. But you know what? And that's really like, maybe I have to finish up because I have to actually get going to work. But um, that's a, a really interesting comment, I think, because there's a strata, there's almost like a, there's like a bourgeoisie versus the like, you know, popular classes argument there, which is like advertising, all of this you the know, common, packaging. The common whatever. life, yeah. The common life is, is less important to preserve than, than the sort of like elite life if you will, like the paintings, the like... But very, very, very simply put, rich people are more important. Yeah, very, very simply. And, and frankly, though, quite often they put up money to, uh, to archive. So in fact, you know, there are several foundations, including like the Tama Foundation, dedicated to like preserving digital art. And that's all they care about doing. But they're not dedicated to preserving like, I don't know, digital life. Like they're not collecting my spam mail. Well, that's like what Olia, Liliana, and uh, Dragon are doing with the mm-hmm. archiving of geocities and hives and websites. Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. that's right. And yeah. so it ends up being like a volunteer activity. I mean, there's so many people doing so many different things around archiving now, too, I yeah. guess. Maybe it's not a problem anymore. Yeah. Um, but and then again, it comes back to my earlier point, which is like, if you if you just like took a flat stance, which is like nothing's worth archiving. No archive, I don't want to be bothered. No, yeah, yeah it's because the, the slippery slope is like, well, this is worth archiving, this isn't. There's like this subjectivity in what we collect. Um, you're gonna, there's, it's never, the, I mean, my point is always, you can't be there. You can't, you can't recreate it. Like, and it's like this human control freak kind but of then thing it, that comes it, out it, in us. It, for example, with the screensaver exhibition, you find out that there's, tons of people online who are screensaver fans and they have archives and there's communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice that it exists so you can go back and talk to them. And uh, Yeah. I don't I see anything I wrong it's with like it. A, it's, a, it's like just like a, it's like a creature comfort for us. Like it just makes us feel good. It's a warm and fuzzy thing to think. The past. We know what it was. Yeah. Oh, I know what it was like to be in colonial America. Oh, they had it so difficult. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> oh, but it must have been wonderful not to have the cell phone distraction. Oh, dear. The earth, <laughs> the warmth, the coming in after chopping wood. Like, and we end up probably reselling these ideas romantically. Meanwhile, millions of people were dying of, you know, the Spanish flu. <laughs> and it was like most chill, most mothers died at childbirth. Like there were all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, it's funny. That it, it feels like that nostalgia, that the really fuzzy warm is for the recent past, not for the, the 2000 <laughs> right. years ago. 
Well, I mean, recent past in art history, for sure. Like, we celebrate, like, I'm really romantic about the 60s and 70s, right? And then some people about the 90s, especially, um, people in the UK. But, like, I, I'm pretty sure it was, like, just as difficult. And so many people have left, been left out of that history. And maybe, like, rightly so, just because it would just be too, it's overwhelming to, to try and, if you... Sorry, it was pretty the, good, but it's too much. Uh, <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> I can't describe the misery of what of everyone's life. You know? <laughs> the museum show would be too large. <laughs> Sorry, not enough empathy for you. <laughs> yeah, this other person, more colorful work. Yeah. People like it better. We sell more tickets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gift shop likes that on uh, tablecloths better. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll choose that history. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I have to go. Yeah. This is really, I'm glad we did this on, uh, you know, you've been sick, we're traveling, but we're squeezing it in and, and we're hearing so many nice things from the people who are listening. Yeah, thank you every everybody day, for I, listening. I, I get to know. Yeah, so we're doing this for you. Please let us know if there's something uh, we should talk about. Um, and if we know nothing about it, we're going to talk about it poorly. <laughs> we can promise you that, <laughs> but we'll do our best. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> No problem. We'll take, we'll take any topic. Um, yeah, okay. But yeah, thanks, Raphael. See you next time. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.